not. Like, right, Wendy? <laughs> okay, open up your Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 10. We are continuing our study. Uh, turn me down just a little bit, if you would, guys. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 10. It's on page 315. I want to just throw out an expression that I heard not too long ago, a few months back. And it's been um, just kind of uh, on my mind as I've, as I've just pondered through, is it really true? I mean, is it really accurate? And here's what it is. In life, there are only new beginnings. That's going to probably bother you. You're going to think about that one so much. There's only new beginnings. I mean, when you woke up this morning, it was a new day. Today starts a new week. We just started a new year. If you think about everything in life, it seems like we're always, we always have new beginnings. There's always something new. Well, as we studied through the Israelites today and what was going on, it was a new beginning. It was something new for them. Because if you remember, uh, Nehemiah came back. God put in his heart to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And so where the Israelites were in terms of their history is that they had a temple that was rebuilt, that was new for them. I mean, it wasn't a new temple. It was just a renewed temple that was rebuilt up because it had been completely destroyed in 586. And so now the year was about 444. This is B.C. time. And they had new walls that were surrounding Jerusalem. The gates were up. Everything was new. And then last week, you remember that that they got into God's word again for the first time because, because it was silent. And there are sometimes, even in our own lives, that sometimes it goes silent. We close it and we keep it on the shelf for a while. And when God's word goes silent in our lives, oftentimes we drift. And they had drifted. And then under Ezra, he was one of those, the priests that came back uh, also from Babylon. He led, if you will, the crusade before Nehemiah did. And after they had rebuilt the temple and rebuilt lives, they had opened up the word of God. And then they began to restudy the word of God. And their hearts changed. And it was, it was this heart transformation that was going on. Well, after that happened, then they got on their knees and they were confessing their sins and asking God to forgive them and all of the sins of their forefathers before them. And so it really was a new day with new hearts, new lives, new temple, new walls, new gates, all this newness. And that's where chapter, actually we're going to be in chapter 10, but before we go to 10, start with chapter 9, verse 38. Nehemiah 9, 38. In view of all of these things I just shared with you, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Now, chapter 10. There's 84 people that assigned their seals to this. In other words, they signed off on this and they said, yes, this is something that we hold to ourselves, that we're binding ourselves to. And let's see what that was. Jump down to verse 28. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their brothers, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse 
and an oath, here's the first one, to do what? To follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. So first and foremost, let me ask you, have you ever said to God, I'm going to follow? I want to follow you, God. And it means you open this and you say, I want to follow. I don't just want to believe in you. I want to follow you wherever you're leading, whatever you're doing in my life. I want to follow you. And that's what they were saying, that they were going to follow God. Now, here's the other things. There's a number of things. You might want to make a notation of what they are because they're really fascinating. Verse 30. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. Now, why would they do that? That's kind of an oddity. Remember the Israelites were the believers in God and all of the nations surrounding them did not believe in God. And what they were saying was, we won't take their daughters for our sons. We don't want to, if you will, intermarry a believer and an unbeliever together. Do you know God hasn't changed from that? In the New Testament, he says, don't be unequally yoked. Believers should not marry unbelievers. Why? Because we've got a great example of this of Solomon in the Old Testament. God told Solomon, don't do that. Don't take any wife who's not a believer. And Solomon did. And God told him, the day that you do that, your heart will start to fall will start to fall away and Solomon was one of the saddest accounts in history of somebody who God loved so much in fact the day that Solomon was born God said in the word God says I loved him from the day he was born and yet what happened was Solomon did this he took other foreign wives it's not foreigners it's unbelievers and his heart was led astray But let's personalize this. Because you can say, all right, that doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Because this was something that could lead his heart away from God. Is there anything in your life that's leading you away from God? For some of you, it might be the TV. Are you watching things that are leading your heart away from God? Are you watching movies that's leading your heart away from God? Is the internet leading your heart away from God? Is your phone leading you away from God? Is there an addiction going on in your life that's leading you away from God? See, if there's anything that's leading you away from God, then what they said was we're going to stop it and not allow anything to lead us away from God. So ask yourself the question, is there anything going on in your life today that is taking your heart further from God? Then why are you still doing it? Here's what I want to pause before we go on. You have to understand that God got their hearts. That's what this was all about. All these things that they said we're going to do weren't have-tos. They didn't sit down and say, Oh, man, now I have to do this because we said we would do it. That wasn't it. It was because they understood that it was only by God's grace that they were back in Jerusalem. 
It was only by God's grace that they still had their lives, because many lost their lives. It was only God, by God's grace that they were able to build those walls that God protected them. It was only by God's grace that they got all the timber from the king from Babylon to build everything they had. They didn't deserve any of it. They knew it was only by grace that they had what they had. And so they were saying, this is what we want to do. And they were binding themselves to what they wanted to do. Not what they had to do. Okay, verse 32. Or verse 31, I'm sorry. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year we'll forego work in the land and we'll cancel all debts. Here's what was going on. On the Sabbath day, because remember, this is one of the commands. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The merchants would come into town. Well, they could only walk so many steps according to God's law. So what they had the merchants do was they had them come down and go in front of their house. And then they would just probably ring a bell or something. Then you could go outside and you had to count your steps outside. So they would just walk a few steps. They would buy something and walk back into the house. Now, if you just stop and think about that, it's like, wait a minute, they missed the point. God didn't want them shopping on the Sabbath day. He didn't want them going out of the house on the Sabbath day except to go to worship or go to, like, friends or relatives. He wanted them to rest. So they figured out a way to beat the system with God that just had the merchant come down in front of their house, ring the little bell, then they can go out and they could shop without ever really leaving their house. And God's like, you missed it. You know, hello, you, you just completely missed what I was trying to teach you. So what they said was they're not going to buy from anybody. Well, do you know what these, the, the merchants did? They started sleeping outside the gates because they wouldn't let them in the gates. Guess what the people started to do? The people who felt like they had to do this, they would actually sneak out during the middle of the night and go down, it scaled down the wall, I'm not kidding you, and they'd go from the merchant who would be up, you know, all night long for sales, and then they'd sneak back and they'd climb up a ladder and get back in the house and nobody would ever know that they shopped on the Sabbath. Do you see something wrong with this? God didn't have their hearts. But now he did. And as soon as God had their hearts, they said, we're not going to do this. Because it's not what God wants. Okay, verse 32. Would you read the first four words with me? We assume the responsibility. Now just pause there. We've been talking to you a lot recently about assuming responsibility. Whose church is it? It's our church. God, if you will, is the bridegroom. Okay, that's what God says of the church. But it's our church. Boy, it bothers me. Somebody said this to me recently. They said, well, how's your church going? And I just, my blood boils. You want to get my blood boiling? Just say that, you know, your church. It's not my church. It's God's church, and it's whose church? It's our church. Take out that little yellow sheet. Read to me what's at the top of that yellow sheet in your bulletin. What does it say? Hopefully you know it by now. It's your church. It's yours. 
Now, what were they doing? They were assuming responsibility, verse 32. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbath, new moon festivals, appointed feasts, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the, say the last words with me, house of our God. Okay, in verse 32, it said house of our God. Verse 33 says house of our God. You can read it, but there's, there's seven more times, nine times in total in this chapter, that it says the house of our God. Because they had reconstructed the house of God, if you will, and they were assuming the responsibility because they wanted to, to take care of God's house. And they didn't delegate it. It wasn't the staffs, it wasn't the priests, it was their church. Friends, Messiah is whose church? It's ours, together. Somebody recently came up to me and said, they said to me, I don't go to Messiah anymore. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. They said, well, I'm going to another church. I said, okay. I said, how come? Quote, because nobody called me and I wanted to serve. Now, would you ponder that? Here's what I thought to myself. Who, who's who's going to call that person? Whose church is it? It's ours. Were they waiting for me to call them? Can I make 2,000 phone calls? Were they waiting for the staff to call them? Oh, who, who was supposed to do all the, the calling? You see, whose church is it? It's our church. So when God prompts on your heart to do something, then step up and do something. Because it's ours. When you're walking in the bathroom and you see a paper towel sitting on the floor, whose responsibility is to pick it up? Ours. When you see that somebody needs something around church, whose responsibility is it? Ours. It's our church. Just like in Nehemiah. They assumed the responsibility. I love that verse 32. We assume the responsibility. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 34. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine which each of, what's the next word? Our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. What does this mean? This means that they were volunteering to take turns to go out into the forest to cut down trees to cut them up, to split them, all with no power saws, and to bring them into the house of God, because God said the flame in the house of God is to continue to burn all the time, never stopping. So they were giving of their time. What else were they giving? Verse 33, or 35. We also assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. 
What were they bringing? They were bringing the first fruits to God. What does that mean? That means for you and I that when we get our paychecks, that we right off the top, we say, God, this is yours. Paul says that we should give proportionally. It means that we, we want to, we've decided in our hearts already the proportion that we're going to give according to our income and we set it aside and we give it to God every week. It doesn't mean that we every week we open the checkbook and say, what, how much am I going to give? We flip it around. The first fruits is we've already decided. We decided before the year began. We decided before January 1st and said this year, this is the percentage that we're going to give to God. And then every week we just set it aside. That's God honoring. That's what God would want, have us want to do. Do you do that? See, do we give because we want to give? Or do we ever give because we feel like we have to give? Friends, we're under grace. Grace means you, we have what we have because God in his love decided to give it to us. We don't have it because we deserve it. We have it because God's shown his grace. And that's why we have it. And God wants us to just be free about giving. Okay, it doesn't end there. Look at verse 37. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priest, the first of our ground meal and our grain offerings, of the fruit of all of our trees, and of our new wine and oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. For it's the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. Jump down to the very last sentence of the chapter. Would you read it with me? We will not neglect the house of our God. Now let me go back to what I said earlier. It's about want to. If God has your heart, then you just want to give. And it's giving of your time. It's giving of your finances. It's giving to God because of what God has given to you. Not because you have to. See, if you feel like you have to, then you're really not giving out of love. If you feel like you have to give, you shouldn't give. But God wants us to give because of what God has done for us. Let me try to illustrate this. I brought a couple of pipes. If we're in the rebuilding, um, I just have these in my garage. I enjoy plumbing and stuff. And this is just a half inch pipe, PVC pipe. How much water do you think you can get through this? Not a whole lot. What happens if it uh, gets a little junk inside of there? Not much is gonna come out, right? You know, sometimes this is how we see giving. God gives us a storehouse and we say, well, no, I'll give you a little bit. And a little bit comes out. And I don't think that's what God wants us to do. Then we can get a little bit more and we can say, you know, God, thank you for what you did for me. Here's a one inch pipe. You can get a lot of water through this, your whole house. I mean, everybody in your house is all served by one inch pipe. You can get quite a bit of water through that. I mean, with a pump, you can get about 20 gallons every single minute out of this guy. That's a lot of water. Do you see your life that way? Like, God, you've given to me, and I just, 
I just want to be the conduit. Let it flow, God. I just want to give. Because you can get a lot through that. Or let's go a little more. Let's go two inch. That's a lot of water you can get through this guy. Do you see your life this way? See, which one's you in this? That God gave to you and you just freely want to be the conduit that God uses to give to others. See, I want to address something. Some, some people get hung up on tithing. And they say, tithing's Old Testament. That's a have to. Well, kind of. It was never meant to be a have to. God gave it to us because sometimes we'll say to God, hey God, I really want to honor you with my first fruits, but I don't know, you know, what's, what, give me an idea, God. Throw a number out. What would be good? God said, okay, how about a tithe? Okay, that's a great place to start. But do you know that in the Old Testament, they also would come and, and they would bring an offering on, on special holy days and they would actually tithe again on holy days in addition to their tithing. And then they would give on special occasions and they would give a sin offering and they would give a grain offering and they would give a praise offering and they would, they would give so much more. Why? Because their heart had surrendered to God. And they just saw themselves as just a conduit of what God was doing. And then there are some that see themselves this way. This is a three-inch pipe. This is what your toilets use. I know you probably didn't know that, but you know, that's important to me. <laughs> in fact, let me tell you about this, okay? When I was in Palatine, I hooked up to the sewer. I had to dig up, just imagine this scene, okay, in our backyard. I had to go 160 feet, 10 feet deep. I hooked up my own sewer line to the city sewer. Well, we put a six inch pipe. That's what the city required. I called my brother-in-law, he's a plumber. I said, hey, Got a question for you. How many toilets can you flush through in a six-inch pipe? He said, how many got in your house? I said, four. He said, you're covered. I said, good. How many can I flush? He said, you can flush 48 toilets on that one. <laughs> I said, I think six inches is good. But you see, it's just a conduit. So nothing stops. Because sometimes what happens is God will bless us, and it'll be going through that pipe, and sometimes we go, we, we stop it on the other end and go, ooh, that's a lot to give. And some people amazingly see themselves like this. Man, this is a big guy. You can put a lot of water through this. How do you see your life? And you know what my encouragement to you is? First, give your life to Christ. And when God's got your life, then just say, God, what do you want me to do? God may challenge you to, to open this a little bit more. And when you open that a little bit more, amazing things start to flow through your life. Start turning, if you will, one more place. I want you to see 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's on page 820. 820, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. See, the most important thing is that God has your heart. When God has your heart... Everything else follows. My prayer regularly is, God, give me more so I can keep giving more. I pray that. 
God wants us to give. And God has given me a generous heart. I love to give. And I'm saying, God, give me more so I can give more. Sometimes God says, you give more and then I'll give you more. Just it kind of depends on where you are in your life. But look at this, chapter 8, find verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this, what's those three words? Grace of giving. Have you ever seen giving as a grace? See, that's fascinating to me. Grace of giving, I would never put those, those three words together. Grace of giving, but here's what it means really simply. Just wherever you are, if you're at a half-inch pipe, God says, excel and become a one-inch pipe. Excel in the grace of giving and then see what God does. And if you're at a one-inch, God says, go to a two-inch and let's just see what God can do. Why? Because God gives us so we might give. And do you realize that our giving is a direct expression of our gratitude to God? Did you catch that? Our giving is a direct expression of our gratitude towards God. God wired us, every one of us, God wired us so that our giving is a natural expression of our love for God. So that when we experience more of God's love and surrender that, our first thing is, I, I want to give. I want to give my time. I want to give more of me. I want to give my talents. I want to give more of my income. I want to give because of what God has done. Okay, now jump down one more verse. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What does that mean? means that God in his grace, Jesus was in heaven. And he gave it all up. Why did he give it all up? Because he surrendered to his father. And had that love for his father because the father had that love for him. He surrendered it all. And he gave up everything and he came down to be with you and I. To meet us where we were, which is poor in spirit. Needing forgiveness needing God's love. And so God gave up so that we could have, that's grace, so that we might become rich. God doesn't make us rich so that we can say, you know, wow, look how much I have. I don't mean finances. I mean, look at how much of God's grace I have. God fills us up so we can fill others up. So that the gift of grace flows from God to us, from us, to others, from others, to others. And God's grace is like this one long pipe that just keeps going and going and going. But when we take the gifts of God and say they're for me and we stop giving, it all stops for everybody else. So what's God want? First and foremost, your heart. And then open up that floodgate. 
And let God flow through you for others. Let's pray. God, everything that we have is a gift from you. We don't deserve any of it, but it's of your grace that you gave to us. And that's grace. You treat us better than we deserve. We deserve nothing, God. But we thank you for everything that you've given to us. God, may we see ourselves like just an, an open pipe with no stops. That all of your love and your grace can flow right through us. The finances can flow through us. Our time can flow through us to bless others. So that it would never stop. God, thank you. Thank you for just showing so much grace to us. May we continue to show that grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen.